This is the Cherished You Podcast. I am your host, Rama. Welcome back, guys. So um, now that you've made it through the energy stages episodes, which is the last four episodes um, in my feed, so go ahead and take a look at those if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you want to know more about what I'm talking about. Um, These next five episodes are going to be about the self-care pillars. Now, the self-care pillars was this framework I came up with uh, about four or five years ago when um, I had, I was trying to um, streamline um, all this self-care information that I knew. And I hadn't really seen anything that was a framework that I, that I liked um, or that made sense to me because it always seemed that everyone else's version of self-care seemed to cut out the person themselves knowing what they need. Um, I saw a lot of people working out when they really needed to rest. I saw a lot of people resting in the name of um, I'm tired or um, I I deserve rest rather than moving when they really needed to move. Um, I saw a lot of really, um, you know, I come, I would grew up in the age of diet culture. So the food restriction and um, not really addressing the, detriments of our American food system in particular and how it's um and kind of not giving enough context around what food is meant to do and kind of demonizing the way people eat that was that was a big issue I was kind of grappling with I was grappling with how to quantify um the need for people in our lives um and in connection in our lives and where supplements fell into all this. And I was constantly just trying to, I was like always kind of going through the Rolodex in my mind of where something fit in. And I was kind of, and I was really looking for a, a framework that would give me a general structure without being too rigid as to what belongs in that structure. So that was something I was really looking for. So I created it myself. And that's where the self-care pillars come from. When I actually went pen to paper with everything I knew at that point, and even um, over the years since I first developed it to now, I still kind of go back and tweak it. These pillars kind of stay consistent throughout. And that... um, really kind of proved to me that I it was um, a, a useful thing that I came up with um, and a um, and it's still something I use with my one-on-one clients. So um, just a quick overview, self-care, my self-care pillars consist of nutrition, movement, connection, mindset, and supplements. And I'm going to go into each one of these in depth over the next um, five weeks. But uh, just for the most part, they're very self-explanatory. Nutrition is, again, just baseline. What's healthy for you? What's not healthy for you and why? And how to do it. Uh, Movement, again, there's um, some nuance within that as well, but just general movement and how that fits into your life. Connection can be friends, family, significant others, uh, pets, kids, community, all of those things fall under connection. Um, And also your intuition falls under connection. Your connection to yourself is just as important as your connection to other people. Mindset is our mindfulness practices, our our, our, th- our thought patterns, um, how how we address all of those, all of that is included in mindset. And then supplements, I felt had to be included 
And I'll go, I'll explain more of this in the supplement section, but there are uh, certain things that I think are needed across the board for everybody. I very rarely say that, but there are certain um, supplements that I think everybody needs all the time. And that is mostly because um, we don't get them from our food our and our air is polluted and our water is polluted so there needs to be a space to actually get your body to the to having the baseline nutrients it needs to function so there are certain supplements that are needed across the board and there are certain other ones that help you get to incorporating the other self pillars enough so then you can wean yourself off of them sometimes it's really hard to get started on a uh, workout or movement can practice if you're depressed and it's really, really hard to move out of depression and force yourself to do it. You're, you're only going to be able to do that so long. It's not sustainable, but with the right supplementation, you can get your body boosted enough so that you will feel inclined to do the movement anyway in whatever capacity you're able to show up for and then eventually autopilot would take over after a while and then if you feel like you don't need the supplement you can always wean yourself off of it or someone can help you teach yourself how to do that teach you how to do that so again nutrition movement connection mindset and supplements those are my five self-care pillars um Again, I'm not going to, I don't, when I draw the diagram of this, when I teach this like on a live or something like that, I actually draw it, it looks like a star almost. Um, and I've also drawn it literally as pillars that hold you up. Any one pillar falls and it's going to be a uneven foundation that you create on top of it. If any one of them is too strong versus the others, it will be a lopsided foundation you are creating on um, under, uh, on top of which you're building your life. So the concept of the pillars is really, it's not so much that they need to be equal. It's just you need to find the balance of each one of these within yourself. And that is going to look different for everyone. That's why I kind of call this a framework. Um, I am not trying to tell people this is the way that you need to do something. I will never be that kind of person. Um, I will always give my suggestion as to what I see as somebody who's an observer and somebody who's interacting with you because sometimes when you yourself are in the middle of it, you may think you see yourself clearly. We often don't. We all have blind spots, huge gaping ones when it comes to ourselves. So if uh, you're, you're around somebody you trust and you trust their perception of you, um, you're able to at least get some feedback that will help you, um, you know, help you kind of navigate what the balance of these pillars are supposed to look like in your life. You know, for some people, they work out two hours a day and that seems to be a really good um a good positive force in their life for other people 30 minutes is more than enough and two hours feels like it takes away from other things that are more important and also there might be phases of your life in certain seasons of your life where two hours you had the time before you had kids and when you after you have kids if you get 30 minutes you're lucky so you can't hold yourself to the standard of you who you were before kids versus who you are after because it's just the context of you has changed and changed dramatically um, your priorities have changed dramatically so it's really um important to give yourself that grace and understand that this is also like everything else in our lives this is dynamic it's a dynamic balance it will shift over time it will shift over seasons and um, that's perfectly okay it will shift day to day it's perfectly okay and um, that's actually kind of the point I won't give you a I won't write down a plan and tell you this is what you need to do I will give you the tools to figure out for yourself what do I need
And I feel like that overall is a more sustainable way of figuring out self-care versus not. One thing you will notice when I talk about self-care is um, I will talk about something called performative self-care. And that is the stuff you see on social media or on the internet. A lot of it, it's like the, you know, the spa treatments and the vacations and um, the, the, the masks and all of that stuff that is expensive that um, a lot of people are not in the position to be able to afford. And all of that is to say that there's nothing wrong with those things if you can afford it. And if you're not bypassing yourself in order to get those things and that's and that stuff is truly um, additive to your life, then go ahead, go forth and go do it and ignore what I'm saying. But for those of us who see all those things and we feel inadequate or less than because we can't afford what apparently is supposed to be self-care. I'm here to tell you none of that is self-care. That is performative. It is clearly just a show. It is um, it is done so that it can be, um, it's, a, it's a pretty picture as to what self-care looks like. And self-care, honestly, is very rarely pretty. Um, and I'm not... I'm not saying anything against anyone who might do this. That it's, again, as long as you are not bypassing yourself and your your bubble baths and your manicures and your spa treatments are all helping you, okay, fine, go forth and do that. Not even saying anything about that. If that makes your life better, please go and do it. You can afford it safely without damaging um, yourself in other areas. Go forth and do it totally up to you. But for those of us who see that and are like, well, I'm not in a position to do that. Does that mean I can't practice self-care? I'm here to tell you that self-care honestly starts with you at home by yourself with no money cost. Like you don't need money to be able to do this. I mean, movement doesn't need to be um, a yoga practice that you have to go to a studio for. You can do it on YouTube if you have, if you're able to have a phone or it can literally just be doing pull-ups and jumping jacks and squats in your house by yourself with no weights, like nothing. Like it's just your body in a space. Like you can do that in the park if that's what that works for you. Walking your dog counts as movement. Um, dancing to your favorite songs counts as movement. Um, all of those things are, are, or additive to anyone's life with her without any of the other extras of what quote unquote self-care is supposed to look like. So I'm trying to make self-care kind of really basic and really foundational because at the end of the day, when you have other priorities that go come on into your life and you're being pulled in a million directions, you just need to come back to the basics and that's that'll be enough. Coming back to the basics will be fine. And that's all that um, I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to make this as simple as possible with um, the least amount of strings attached. So now that my little spiel for uh, self-care and my pillars, (laughs) now that I've done that, um, I'm going to dive into nutrition. And I'm going to preface this by saying that the first type of coach I was after I left med school was a health coach. And it was because, and, um, and nutrition is the reason I left, I, I left medicine. <laughs> Say that right up front. When, um, when I was getting toward the, toward my completion of med school and I literally put off putting just the pay, I had to put in paperwork and I, and I wouldn't put it in for a year because I didn't know what to do. I had not, I could not, um, 
come to a point where I felt comfortable spending close to $10,000 to go through match and with no guarantee that I would actually get a spot. So it would be um, a lot of money spent in some case, in one of the cases was it would be a lot of debt for no payoff at the end. Like I'm not getting a paycheck that's gonna help me pay off this debt. And also I was disillusioned with the, with the field as a whole because I was learning all this stuff about nutrition that never once came up in med school, never once came up on a board exam. None of the four of them, the four incredibly hard, incredibly expensive board exams I had to take, not one of them really talked about nutrition and its impact on you. And I was, um, I was really just kind of lost because for the first time in my life, this, this thing that I knew I wanted to do, I wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to help other people. And all of a sudden, everything I had learned was felt like a lie. And everything I was learning on my own was like the holy grail. And I was like, how come I was never told this? How come I wasn't told that I could a few tweaks in my, in my food and I wouldn't be having major depression but instead, all the, the only options I was given was talk therapy and antidepressants. Those were my only two options, and one of them wasn't paid for by insurance, and the, major, and the antidepressants gave me massive side effects, so I wouldn't take them. So I was stuck living with this massive depression, depressive hole that I had been in for most of my life, and six months after changing my diet, all of a sudden, I was happy again. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm euphoric, like, oh my God, I'm so happy. No, it was just like this sense of calm and peace, peace that had come over me. And I was like, okay, so this is what happy is supposed to feel like. I was not, I had no anxiety. I had no racing thoughts. I had no feelings of despair of like how I was worthless and I didn't deserve to take up space or live at all. None of that stuff. And all that stuff was gone because six months I changed my diet. For six months, I changed my diet. And that's what happened. I didn't even take a single supplement during that time. And so nutrition was really what um, changed the course of my life. Learning about nutrition, changing my diet was literally the thing that shifted. Um, to give you a little bit more context, when I was learning about nutrition, um, my, my brother was about four years, um, four, five years um, into recovery from uh, from cancer. And my, my 17 year old brother who had always been healthy, randomly what felt like he randomly got cancer and Olson was going through chemo and dealing with all these like bone marrow stuff and the hospital stuff, all this stuff around cancer. And I'm, and I'm just shocked as to why, because the type of cancer he had, I had, I was studying for my boards at the time that he was diagnosed. And I remember when I went and looked at the, and I was studying for my boards and it came up and I'm like, and I'm looking at the stats on it. And I'm like, this, this kind of cancer usually hits middle-aged women. Why is a young teenage boy getting this cancer? It made no sense to me. And it kind of, that's that kind of little thing, even though I went through, you know, all my board exams and my, um, and, and, and finished up, you know, my actual, all, all my rotations and stuff, this was kind of like sitting in the back of my mind and I could not get this thought out of my head. Like, yes, thankfully he was fine. And, you know, he had, he had 
he went into remission and then eventually got the clearance that he was cured because he was five years cancer free. But I, I could not get out of my mind is how does a relatively healthy 17 year old boy get hit with a cancer that the majority of the time hits middle-aged women. Yes, they're anomalies to everything. He was the anomaly. I wanted to know why. And as I'm learning about nutrition, as I'm learning about the food supply, as I'm learning about the medical industry, medical business, insurance business, um, as I'm learning about all these, because they're all interconnected, as I'm learning about big agra and big food, um, all of these guys are connected. And then I finally put it together and I was like, oh my God, my brother as a child would get bronchitis in the wintertime. And every year he would be at least have one course of amoxicillin. I remember every, every winter there would always be that stupid pink bottle inside the fridge and it was for my brother. So every winter he would be on a course and what happened is that over time, when you do that for five, six, seven years, and I actually noticed this when his teeth, his baby teeth were falling out, he had cavities in every one of his teeth. Now we could blame it on sugar, which a lot of us did, which is what the dentist did. But when you put the entire picture together and you add in the fact that he had rotting teeth at seven, five, five, six, seven years old. I can't remember exactly what he was, but somewhere in that vicinity when his um, when he had his baby his baby teeth were starting to fall out. He had all these courses during that same time period from about like three to nine, ten years old, every year would be on his course of amoxicillin. And then all of a sudden, at seventeen, he's hit with cancer, lymph node cancer. But any cancer is an, is an immune condition. It's an autoimmune condition is pretty much is really what it is. Your immune system goes wackadoodle. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do, which is what an autoimmune condition is. All of a sudden, okay, you put that entire picture together. And what I noticed, what blew my mind, is that the amoxicillin courses killed his gut bacteria to the degree that it couldn't fight off the, the bacteria that causes cavities, strep mutans, in your mouth. So he had all those cavities as a kid. The continued prolonged course of amoxicillin that he would get for the quote-unquote bronchitis, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, killed his gut bacteria so that when he got mono, he got mono in high school, a year before his cancer diagnosis, it did not clear his system. It got stuck. His immune system couldn't get rid of a relatively common virus that people in high schools usually get, could not get rid of it. The mono got stuck in his, one of his lymph nodes and Epstein-Barr causes B-cell lymphoma. That was, that was the pathway, that was the mechanism of him getting cancer. Now the amoxicillin is actually the thing that drove me nuts is because he was on this very strong antibiotic that killed his gut bacteria, both good and bad because he was allergic to milk. He got bronchitis because he was drinking cow's milk. We grew up, my family grew up drinking whole milk as kids. That cow, and it was not organic. Conventional whole milk from cows, he was allergic to. It used to cause him bronchitis. It made it worse in the summer, in the winter time. And the bronchitis is what would what the doctor saw as a reason to give him amoxicillin. So all of this to say is that when I learned nutrition and I put this one picture together in my head, 
I and then add, add to that the personal information I had of what changing my diet did for my lifelong depression. I was like, okay, well, medicine, the way it's constructed in the United States is not for me. Any other pathway that I looked at, well, I, I looked at naturopathy, I tried, I looked at going, I actually honestly thought about moving to other countries to see what I could do. And regardless of no matter where I go, I, no matter what path I took, I had to have more an investment than I had already put into my education that um, in order to get certified in the, in the logistical had could go around the logistical red tape that was around all those things in order to make money in those fields in order to be able to provide for myself in those fields so i kind of split the difference in in my eyes which was you know splitting the difference and i went and took a health coach certification course and i already had all the medical school knowledge that i had you know in my books in my brain and and my own ability to be able to learn anything new in a way that made sense to me, um, I became a health coach instead. And the life coaching now that, that I do now is really just an extension of that because I come back to the things that I learned um, as a, um, before I became a health coach that kind of helped me become a health coach are still used heavily in my life coaching now. I use that same principle now. Everything I learned about when I was learning about nutrition those baseline um, tenets are still true as to what I teach in the life coaching that I do now. So it all kind of ties together with nutrition is probably one of the most important things, not even for us just as humans living on the planet, but for me personally in my journey, it's like it was the turning point. It was really where I got a big like stop sign and a detour into something where I didn't even see myself going. But it, um, I think it was also the catalyst for me being um, a more authentic version of myself instead of this um, more um, cookie cutter version of who I was before, before that point. Um, nutrition, when I really talk about it, it's I don't, there, again, there's some kind of base, base guidelines with it, but I'm not going to be telling you, oh, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. Um, the dairy, like the dairy, for example, there's a lot of people who like, if you're going to do dairy, do it organic and do it really minimally. Like I don't tolerate dairy almost at all. I can do small, small amounts of, um, goat dairy in very specific conditions it has to be um it has to be prepared in a certain way for me to be able to tolerate it and even then it's really small amounts it's just one of those things that doesn't work for me i have celiac disease i can't touch gluten with a 10-foot pole um i ate something the other day that didn't have any wheat products um, or any wheat in the ingredient list, but didn't overtly say it was gluten-free. So I ate it and I was in such massive pain the next day because there was malt flavoring that I had missed when I was reading the ingredients. And malt usually is made from some, some kind of wheat derivative, barley, something like that. It doesn't necessarily pop on the gluten meter, but it does affect me. So it's like, yeah 
was it worth it? Maybe, maybe not, but really never is because stomach pain like that is never fun. And it, yeah. So the, what works for me is not going to work for you. Some people can handle gluten just fine and, you know, whatever proportion works for them. What I will say is that whatever you think you cannot live without, give it 30 days without it and then reintroduce it back into your, um, your, your diet. I learned that from the Whole30. Now, the Whole30, if you've never heard of it before, I don't know what kind of rock you're living under. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but sorry, not sorry. That's true, but um, you can you can find their you can find all the information for the program in Whole30.com. I personally love that program. Um, it provided a structure that I still kind of use to this day. I haven't done a complete Whole30 in a couple of years. Um, I might do it again. I might not, but it has has helped me incredibly with my relationship with food on a emotional and um, spiritual level more so than anything else. Um, but they, the, the elimination reintroduction framework of the whole 30 is really, really important. I think for anybody to get an objective view as to what a certain food does to you. Now you may intellectually in your brain think that you love a food, but does it love you back? Is it good for you? And that really is the important thing. There needs to be a middle ground between what we love and what our body loves and how and how to balance those two things. And I think that when you understand that nutrition it has, you know, some very, there's some base guidelines that work across the board for overall health, for overall longevity, for overall like mitigating crap happening to you, um, uh, limiting the inflammation that your brain, that your body lives with. Right. So vegetables, very important. Eat as many as you can. Um, meat, um, protein source. If you are a not meat eater, um, I am not an expert in that. I have always, I tried to go vegan once. It was a ridiculously horrible experience for me on every level imaginable. Um, I am not meant to be a vegetarian or a vegan that is not in my, that is not for me. That is not the life for me. Um, I have not seen anybody who doesn't do well with at least some animal product in their diet. Humans are kind of meant to eat that kind of thing. Um, We can argue day and night about what that means. It's climate change isn't happening just because I'm eating beef. That's not the reason why. So um, it's a discussion for another day. But um, a protein source and a, a high quality, um, high bio, high bioavailable, bioavailable protein source, um, is important. Um, I prefer that from animal products, but whatever form works for you works for you. Um, high quality fats. So none of these industrial seed oils, crap things, none of that. Um, but, um, fats coming from fruits and vegetables, um, or their derivatives, and then also making sure they're used properly at the proper temperature. Like let's not be cooking our food with extra virgin olive oil, please. That's just causing a whole lot of problems we don't need. Um, and then, you know, as far as the industrial foods are concerned, you know, the processed foods and all that jazz, 
if you can tolerate it and you can, and there's room in your diet for that kind of thing, go for it. You know what? Life's meant to be lived and that's great. I do dairy-free, gluten-free ice cream um, pretty regularly and my life is better for it than it is without it. Um, I also know that if I tried to eat regular pizza, which I love with a burning passion, but if I tried to eat it, I would die. So some things are not worth it and that's totally fine. Um, I'm not going to give a lecture about what's healthy and what's not healthy, but what I do know is that whatever your form of nutrition looks like, um, stick to it for the long term. Be willing to also be open to the fact that as time goes on, as your context changes, as always, your nutritional needs will change. If you're pregnant, you're not going to be able to eat the way that you do when you're running a marathon um, or If you're trying to lose weight, but still be able to lift heavy, you're going to have to eat differently than when you're a couch potato. So like context is so important. It's so, so important. And only you really have the full extent, the full knowledge on what your context is. So that is my spiel on nutrition. Um, I will expand on this in future episodes. Uh, it, it comes up a lot for me. I talk about food a lot. Um, I will also, um, I'm sure I will have a rant at some point about all the, um, food businesses that exist to get us addicted to their food. So if you have a hard time coming off of processed food, it is not your fault. They make it that way. Um, in case that helps anybody right now, but um, I'll expand more on this, but really nutrition is whatever is full of nutrients for you. Um, Knowing that certain things will always be true. Animal protein, a high quality source of protein, um, high quality fats, non-industrial fats, and um, carbohydrates in the amount that work for you based on your activity level. Okay. So if you're sitting around all day, don't be eating for like, don't be eating potatoes. You don't need that much potato if you're not doing anything. Um, even if it is, you know, healthy, you just don't need that much, um, that much of an insulin spike from that kind of an energy source. And, you know, then vegetables, the whole standard, standard fruits and vegetables, get that into your, um, get that into your body as much as you can in whatever form you can, whatever works for you. So, and then if you have room and tolerance within your body to be able to handle some of the more man-made foods, go for it. Go for it. Completely here for that. Um, that is, um, that is what I have for this week. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. Um, But uh, again, any feedback is appreciated and I will talk to y'all next week. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Cherished You podcast. If you could please leave me a review, um, subscribe and share. It really helps get the podcast out to those who it will help the most.